0: Well good morning. Good morning. That was terrible. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Alright, y'all should be awake. First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. Not your typical passage probably for Easter. Um, that's where we'll be at today. Where my heart was drawn. I love the apostle Peter. Uh, He is my, as I've said in this church before, he is my favorite character in the Bible. Uh, Mainly because he reminds me so much of myself, and I'm not speaking to the good parts of Peter, but more so his flaws and his failures. Um, And so this Sunday, I want to give you a taste of Peter's life, uh, an eyewitness to the resurrection of Christ, and why it is so meaningful for us because it was so meaningful to him. Peter, um, I obviously have not met him, but I uh, am going to look him up as one of the first people I meet, I hope, in heaven. I feel like we could share a lot of stories about failures, and I have no doubt that Peter was a man uh, who was known for his excitability. Uh, He was known for speaking before his thoughts were uh, complete, Uh, he was known for doing things without weighing all of the possible outcomes. Uh, And uh, he got himself in quite a bit of trouble. It is, however, uh, Peter who is the leader uh, in—I guess you would say—in some ways, as some might say, the first among equals among the disciples. Uh, He clearly seems, when you read the scripture, seems to lead the disciples in many ways, Uh, and that's—I have no doubt—is because of his personality and because of his giftedness in a lot of ways, but um, excitability is definitely something that I think you see in Peter. I think you see that in Matthew chapter 14. You don't have to turn there, but when Peter believes it is Jesus who is walking on the water and tells Jesus, if, if that's you, tell me to come out there with you. Jesus says, come on, it's Peter who gets out of the boat. I don't know if you've been on a big lake or water, but getting out of the boat generally is not the first idea you have unless you're going to get on some skis or an inner tube. Uh, But no one gets out of the boat to go walk on water, but Peter did. Peter gets out of the boat and walks toward the Savior on water. And I have no doubt that if I could have been anywhere in that scene, I would have wanted to be back in the boat to look at the other guys (laughs) as they watched Peter walk on the water. And yet it is Peter, while walking on the water, who is overcome with fear and anxiety because of what surrounds him. And it is Peter who almost drowns. And I'm sure some of the other apostles were like, told you that wasn't going to (laughs) work. And Jesus has to rescue Peter. It is Peter in Matthew 16 who is the first among the disciples to openly declare Jesus as the Christ. Who do you say I am? Peter says, I tell you who you are. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You are the promised one. And Jesus says, this wasn't revealed to you, Peter, by yourself. In other words, Peter, you didn't add up a different things and, and come to some kind of decision by weighing everything. No, no, no. The only way you know that is because God the Father chose you to reveal that to you. Yes, yes. But that is Peter, the <laughs> promised Messiah, the one that Israel had been waiting on. Peter declares, it's you! And, oh, just get excited about that, but that excitement will be tempered. Because just a few, few periods of time will drift by before it is Peter, who when Jesus tells the disciples, listen, I have to be killed by the religious leaders. Because of what I'm preaching, all the religious leaders are going to kill me, but I'm going to be raised to life after three days. Clear teaching, no cloak and dagger there, no Da Vinci Code. Don't go see the movie; worthless. It's clear as a bell. I'm going to be crucified by the religious leaders. I'm going to be raised to life in three days. Clear teaching. Peter seems to think so. Peter gets that and immediately pulls aside the Son of God and says, Let us we need we need to chat for a moment. Because <laughs> that is not going to happen. I know I just declared you the Messiah, you're Christ that you are not going to die, ain't happening, no way, whatsoever. The pinnacle of Peter and the pit of Peter. And Peter will find himself receiving the strongest and sharpest rebuke ever given to a disciple when Jesus calls him Satan. calls Peter Satan and tells him, Get behind me, for you have set your mind not on the things of God, but on the things of man. See what I mean about Peter? How many of y'all are beginning to identify right now with Peter? But none of this would would stand... To compare to what happens in Matthew chapter 26. When Jesus is arrested. And Peter attempts. You just you got to love Peter. Peter is going to defend the son of God. They're arresting Jesus. Peter says, I've got this. And he pulls out his sword, (laughs) and he swings it, and he strikes off a man's ear. Not the greatest swordsman. By definition, you would have thought that he would have stabbed somebody, but no, 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 he does not. Instead, he draws his sword to defend the Messiah, who, as he says, listen, if I didn't want to do this, I could just speak. Tens of thousands of angels would slaughter everybody here. Put your sword up, Peter. <laughs> the very Peter who had just declared... Jesus is Christ, and who was told repeatedly that Jesus would die, attempts to, once again, interrupt the plans of God, and tries to defend the Savior. We can almost, in some ways, you can almost applaud the effort. by Peter, his love for Jesus, I'm going to defend him, and yet... He is attempting to take Jesus off of the plan for which he was born. And that is to die for the sins of the world and to be raised again. So you can almost plot Peter there. And yet, once again, his mind is on the things of man, not the things of God. But yet, in Matthew 26, things get even better. Darker. The excitable, emotional, passionate Peter. Because not long after drawing the sword to mount a pitiful defense against those who were arresting Jesus, we find him denying that he even knew him. Out of fear of his own life being taken. He decides to make quite the scene to save his own skin. And then the rooster crows. And what I think is one of the most gripping passages in all of the Bible, when you think about the emotions of man, Luke 22 records that Peter locks eyes with Jesus. After denying him. Can you... See that moment. I don't know him. I don't know him. And there's Jesus as the rooster crows and their eyes walk. Peter's only response at that moment is to weep bitterly and flee into the night. Jesus would go on to be tortured and beaten in ways that we can't even fathom. He would then be crucified upon a cross. And all during this time, Peter is nowhere to be found. That's Peter. Basically pick up Peter again in John 20. As Mary returns from the empty tomb and tells the disciple, I don't know what's going on, but the tomb is, and before she can even get the word out completely empty, Jesus is not there. Peter and John run to the tomb. You can almost see them as they begin to run. Mary is still telling her story. But Peter and John are racing to the tomb. And the scriptures reveal that John is a better runner than Peter. (laughs) Because Peter is beaten to the tomb. John gets to the tomb and he peers into the tomb and says, "There's, There's no Jesus there. Peter finally arrives. Grace shown to Peter that it does not tell how much time had expired before Peter finally got there in second place. But he arrives and he runs right into the tomb. And he looks around and sees there is no body. John believes, the scripture says, Leaves. Peter is perplexed. And then we find the resurrected, resurrected Savior revealing himself to the disciples while they're out fishing. It's crazy. Jesus says, You got any fish? Because if you don't, you're about to. And they catch a whole bunch of fish. Obviously, an amazing scene that had happened before, by the way. And John looks at Peter and says, "It is the Lord." Yeah. And Peter, <laughs> you gotta love Peter. Peter has basically got no clothes on. Basically, he's fishing with not a whole lot of clothes. So the Bible says, "I didn't make this up." For I mean, and he puts on his his, his 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 garments. And it's hot out there. He puts on his outer garments, and he jumps into the water. You can almost see the other disciples going, there he goes again. <laughs> it is the Lord. Puts his outer garments back on. Jumps into the water. To go to Jesus. It's a great scene there. As they gets to the shore... Jesus already has fish on the grill. <laughs> like, how did that happen? Have you ever thought about how that happened? I was just like, did he just like do this and fish come out of the water and crawl on the grill? I mean, I mean, he doesn't have to bait the hook, right? I mean, we know that. Peter, in his excitement, leaves the other disciples to haul the fish in. You hear the grumbling among the other disciples. Jesus wants to know if there's any more fish. Jesus... Paul Peter says, yeah! And he runs out and he grabs the net, drags it ashore. And then there's this emotional scene. This, This wonderful dialogue that John records between the creator and sustainer of all things. Jesus, the Savior of the world, the King of kings, And Peter over breakfast. The disciple whose last meaningful conversation with Christ was a complete denial of Him. I think there was some awkwardness there. And here's that exchange in John 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. We have just so sanitized the Bible, have we not, growing up in church? Can you get the emotion of this scene? And he says to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved grieved, because he had said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know everything. And you know, you, Son of God, resurrected Christ, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly I say to you, Peter, when you were young you used to stretch, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show about what kind of death he was to glorify God. Peter you remember that scene where you were terrified about saving your own life and you denied me? Yeah. That's, that's the background of this conversation. There's coming another time. This time you won't want to go, but you will. And you'll die for me. And he looks at Peter after telling him how he's going to die. And he says, follow me. You see, the resurrection of Jesus has massive implications for the world. But make no doubt it had massive implications for the apostle Peter. The resurrected Christ restores the very disciple who had denied him with curses just days before. And then in Acts 2, we find one of the greatest examples of grace in the whole Bible. As in the plan of God, to have the first sermon preached in the New Testament church. <laughs> Guess who it is? It's Peter. It's Peter who stands up and proclaims Christ. And 3,000 are saved. I know what you're thinking right now, Jason, you've never waited this long to read Scripture before <laughs> in your sermon, and I know you believe in them. So the traditional preaching of God's word, and you've been all over the map right now. When are we going to do First Peter? And it's like 11:20 and it's Easter and there's food at the house, right? <laughs> We're there. If you would ask me, why did we turn to First Peter, and I would say, because of that backdrop. And when the Holy Spirit of God inspired a letter to be written to suffering Christians. Not suffering like you think you're suffering in America. Right. Suffering Christians. Who are being persecuted and killed for their faith. Do you know who the Holy Spirit by the hand of God chose to write that letter. It's Peter. And it's Peter. in 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 9, this is how Peter reaches out to the elect exiles who are being persecuted. And he says this Blessed be the God and Father our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. I love the exclamation point. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Peter knows how. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Oh, that's Peter. And that living hope that comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, is to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and is kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And in that, you rejoice. Yes. You rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary. You have been grieved by various trials. Peter knew about trials. That's Peter. That's, yeah, that's, that's Peter. So man, he's excited again. Yes, he is. Because the disciple who had once denied Christ, that had been reinstated, that had been reinstated by Christ, understood the power of the resurrection and what it meant for him, right. and what it meant for all those who would believe. That's right. And that is this. If you believe you have been born again you've been born again you're not the same as you used to be you've been born again to a living hope. That's good. Anybody want to be born again to a dying hope? (laughs) And this happens listen to me exiles, this happens Through the resurrection of Christ. That brings you because he is resurrected. Because listen, if he doesn't, if he doesn't come back to life, he's just another bloody dead guy on a stick of wood. You get that, right? Right. It's meaningless. It's just another guy who spouted off words that the Roman Empire said, Well, we can fix that. You Jews want them dead, that's fine, we'll kill them. But he didn't. Die and not come back alive. He died and then they couldn't find his body because he resurrected. Amen. And that means something. And what that means is that you have a living hope and an inheritance. I don't know about you, but I like inheritances. <laughs> Unless it's inheriting bad DNA or something like that. I don't like that. But an inheritance that is imperishable. Nothing can make it rot. It is undefiled. It's perfect. It's holy. And it's righteous. And trust me. I can't even defile it. Because if I could, I would. But it's kept in heaven. Imperishable. Undefiled. And unfading, unfading. Kept in heaven. Who's guarding it? I mean, mean, we need it's not those Roman soldiers, are are it? Because they didn't do a good job in the tomb. Who's guarding it? Peter says, Listen, exiles, God is guarding it. Amen. Through faith, for our salvation to be revealed at the end of all things. Because listen, believers, you have been saved, you are saved, and you're being saved. And one day, our salvation will be complete. Made possible by the resurrection of Christ. And all this, exiles, leads to your salvation. That's why we sing songs like the grave can't hold us either because right. it couldn't hold the one in which we follow yes. and, which, and the one in which we worship and the one in which our loyalty is to he promised that we would be resurrected as well and in this in this we rejoice because no resurrection there is no rejoicing we are to be pitied more than anybody to preach a faith in which that the leader of that faith the proclaimer of that faith is dead We're to be pitied. But he is not. And so we rejoice. No matter our circumstances, even those trials and struggles come. And sometimes they come to stay. But it is our reaction to those trials that proves our faith. And the reactions that you have to the trials that come and the ones that stay, the reaction that you have, the way in which you respond, brings God praise, glory, and honor. And then he reminds the exiles of this. And and though we do not see Christ now, you can hear Peter. I've seen him. And though you may not see him now, we nevertheless rejoice for the joy that is inexpressible and is filled with glory. And that joy is obtaining the outcome of our faith. The full salvation of our souls. That's what the resurrection bought for the redeemed, For those in here who are believers, that is what you have. And it is available for those who have not yet trusted Christ. You can have the greatest and only living hope, the only assured hope, and inexpressible joy that moves you through life's most difficult challenges while praising and glorifying God all the way through them. And without Christ, you are hopeless. I mean, you can hope for a great marriage, and you might have one, You can hope for a great paying job and you may have one. You can even hope for a long and healthy life and you may have one. But you will never be assured of a living hope in life and in death as those who have been brought to that by the resurrection of Christ and their faith in that. That even if the job goes away, if the spouse dies, If the money dries up, and if your health fails, those who know the resurrection of Christ are still not hopeless. Amen. That's what it means to follow a resurrected Savior. You possess a living hope that nothing can take away from you. Nothing. A hope that cannot die. The resurrection is the single truth that Christians can cling to in the midst of whatever trial of suffering that comes to them. Well, this is happening to me. This terrible thing is happening to me. But I know the resurrection happened. Jesus is no longer in the grave. And in that, I rejoice. Because I know one day, no matter this situation... I, too, will obtain the outcome of my faith, and that is the salvation of my soul. Amen. It's the one fact that we as fellow believers should be reminding each other of every day. When we come together to sing and fellowship, we are celebrating the resurrection while simultaneously reminding each other of what our future holds, not what the present is giving us, but what the future is for all who believe. So if you're here today, and your life has been more identified with struggles and failures, Peter, Peter knows how you feel. He knows the darkness of the soul. He knows what it's like to be broken, to be depressed, to weep bitterly at the failures of your life. He even knows what it means to deny Christ to his stumble, to have fallen and to flee from the very one you love. And yet I'm telling you, Peter knows and I mean he knows the power of the resurrection of Christ. And that changed everything for Peter. Turn your eyes to that truth. As the Apostle Peter points these suffering Christians who are recipients of this letter with his name to the resurrection of Christ, I want to point you, all of you, those of you who are among the redeemed, those of you who claim Christ, those whose lives are forever different because of the living faith imparted to you, I want to remind you that all of this stuff listed by Peter through the power of the Holy Spirit in chapter 1 is yours too. Yes, yes. And it is there, and it is assured, and it is a living hope because of the resurrection. And I hope that truth moves you to worship and meditate on Christ, and I hope it moves you through your trials and struggles. Whether it be in a marriage whether it be as parents, whether it be in a job, whether it be with your battle with health or issues that you may be having, I hope the resurrection of Christ and the promise of the full salvation of our souls will bring you joy. And you will be the one who though you may not want to go through the trial, will go through it with joy. And for those who are here today who do not know Christ, you may call yourself a Christian, but if you are honest with yourself, you know that your life looks no different than those who do not claim Christ. Your life is not marked with a desire for God's Word. You don't have a passion to be around the people of God. You have no desire to gather on a regular basis with other believers to sing and worship the resurrected Messiah or to be regularly instructed from the scriptures. And you may very well very well understand what it means to be good and not do the big sins, but at the end of the day you are not serious about holiness and you don't hate your sin. And I'm telling I'm here to tell you that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and not believing in that damns you to hell. And you do not have a living hope, but only a destiny for eternal destruction. And so I want to proclaim the Gospel to you. That you were born into sin. No one had to teach you how to sin. You sin very well on your own. And that sin separated you from the Father who is holy, holy, holy. And you would never be able to live a life Good enough or righteous enough, you will never be able to check off the list to get it all right so that you can be accepted by a holy, holy, holy God. But God loved Peter and loves you so much that he sent Christ to take the punishment that you so richly deserve. And I do mean we so richly deserve. But Jesus took our punishment for us. He took the sin upon him on the cross. Perished because of our sin. And yet death, the final victor that we are all well aware of, could not hold the king. And he resurrected, defeating death. And assuring us of the promise that he said, that I will come back. And if I said I'll come back from the dead, I will do it. And when I say I'm coming back to get those who love me, I will do it. It's a promise that I will keep. And for those who put their faith in that sacrifice and resurrection, and repent and believe in it, will be forever changed. And so I've heard it said once, I want to beg you as a dying man to dying men, be reconciled to God. The way has been made for you in your sin to repent and believe and come to Christ, the resurrected Savior who can change you and make you holy before God and give you a living hope. That is a call to all those in here who are not believers. And in closing, as Keith comes, I want to remind you as a believer that the celebration of a resurrected Savior may be defined traditionally to a single day. I hope you understand that every day we celebrate the resurrected Christ. Amen. He is our hope in the midst of pain and suffering. And I guarantee you, if you could pull up alongside Peter say, so you wouldn't believe what I'm going through. Peter would say, I know what you're going through. And let me tell you about Jesus. And the fact that he beat sin. Sin could not touch him. He beat death. His death cannot hold him, let me tell you, he'll bring you through whatever trial, and even if he does not, you still have a living hope and a joy that can never be taken away. So I hope that every day you will celebrate the resurrected Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, you are good. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the truth. God, me personally, I thank you for telling us so much about the Apostle Peter. God, because myself and I'm sure everyone else in this room finds themselves struggling and failing. And I am thankful, God, that you did not leave it up to me to win my salvation. Because, Lord, I would have never won it to so I thank you for Christ who did what I could never do and arose defeating death. And God, I place my joy and excitement in that and I pray, Lord, that I will learn and I pray for my people that we will learn what it means to live with an inexpressible joy. And That is the hope that is living, that we too will obtain the outcome of our faith. And that is the salvation of our souls. And Lord, we thank you that you keep your promises. And we want to celebrate that today. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. The elders are always here. If you want to talk about Christ or salvation or what it means to come to know Christ, I am here. Lucas is here. Wayne is here. We'd love to chat with you about that, answer questions. But you don't have to grab us to come to Christ. You can just repent and believe. Repent and believe. And Christ will save you, and you'll know it because your life will never be the same again. Let's celebrate Christ now as we sing to him.